Hello and welcome uh, to this session with Grace Point Church of Ephrata, Washington. Also, we want to welcome any guests who are with us on this day. And we're thankful you are with us today. Uh, as you know, our national elections uh, occurred and took place this past Tuesday, November 2nd. I'm recording this on Wednesday, the, the 3rd, and so uh, we don't know the results, at least at this point, know the results of those elections. But I want to just uh, remind you of a couple of things. And uh, even as by the time you view this, we may know the results of our national elections and state elections. But there's two things I would like you to remember. And the first off is to recognize a thing and then to respond. First of all, we need to recognize, as Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, and it is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. A very clear declaration that anybody who's in political power uh, as a ruler of a nation is placed there by the sovereignty, power, and supremacy of God. Uh, we spent our last uh, uh, series in the book of Colossians, which is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, the magnificence of Jesus Christ. And no matter the outcome of these elections, your candidate may not have been placed in office. And uh, there may be some anguish over that and adversity may face us as a nation. And yet we need to remember that God in his righteousness and justice is the one who establishes rulers and also removes rulers. And secondly, not only to recognize that truth from scripture, but how are we as believers in Jesus Christ supposed to respond no matter the outcome of this election? Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving with thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Uh, it's good to reflect on what we need to recognize that God says about our, our, our leaders and also to respond correctly as believers in Jesus Christ. Michael Horton, a, a, a historian and writer, he observes that the kingdom of Christ is not advanced by the legislation of ideology, but by the proclamation of theology, namely the gospel of God's grace in Christ. So I want you to remember those two things. Uh, so today we're going to talk about perspective. We're going back to the study in the, the book of Philippians, another one of the prison epistles. And we've begun this study a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but it's all about perspective here is Colossians was the main theme of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Philippians is a prison epistle which is calling believers how to live or teaching us how to live the Christian life in light of the supremacy of of Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is teaching us and helping us recognize those things. But perspective is everything, isn't it? We all have a perspective on our reality, on life. Uh, we have a perspective on our circumstances. And in this section in the letter to the Philippians, it is how to have joy in the midst of our circumstances. There's very little we're in control of, and we need a correct perspective 
on our difficulties, on our adversities as individuals, as families, as a church family, as well as as a nation. We need to have a good perspective. And Paul is helping us with that perspective. I was reading about uh, one uh, corporation, one company that every year they held an inter-office softball game between the marketing department and the support staff of the marketing department. And on this particular year, the support staff just soundly beat the marketing department in this softball game. And of course, the marketing department demonstrated right afterwards why they're so good at their job. And they posted this memo on the bulletin board after that game where they were soundly trounced. And this is what the memo said. The marketing department is pleased to announce that we came in second place in the recent softball season after losing but one game all year. Of course, the support staff, the port, they went on to say the support department, however, had a rather dismal season winning only one game. Well, that wasn't exactly the reality, was it? But that was one perspective of that reality. <clears throat> I was also reading about uh, the New York Museum a number of years ago. The New York's Museum of Natural History arranged a room, a display, in accordance with the way it was supposed to look when a dog entered the door. And so as you entered this room, you had the dog's perspective of this living room. And in this particular room, the legs of the table were made to resemble large pillars. The stairs were, or the chairs were very lofty thrones. And the mantle above the fireplace appeared to be an unscalable precipice high overhead. So this room was designed from a dog's perspective. So which was, which was the reality, the dog's perspective or the human, human being perspective? Was the reality how it looked to a dog or how it looked to a human being? Uh, being human beings, we say, of course, that the room as we see it is the real one, don't we? That's our perspective. But isn't there a divine eye much above ours in perception as ours is above the dog's? God himself sees all things. His perspective is what is real reality. And maybe our little worlds as we see them is not how God sees them. And so we are pretty focused on our circumstances. We are focused on life as it is today with political issues, sociological issues, uh, pandemics, uh, just uh, all sorts of things that trouble us and are adverse and as I said, most of our circumstances are out of our control. And yet, what is your perspective on your circumstance? That's a question I ask myself when I feel overwhelmed with life in general as it is today. You know, a faulty perspective on our circumstances can rob us of joy if we allow that to happen. It is critical to have an accurate focus and picture of our circumstances. We don't always know the answer to the question, why am I going through this? But how do we see how God sees it? And that's what the Apostle Paul is helping us to understand so that we can pursue joy, experience the joy of the Christian life in our lives, know how to live in the midst of our circumstances. And as we wake up each morning, do we have an aggressive determination to live a life of joy, to allow Christ's joy to go through us? The letter to the church at 
Philippi, this Philippian letter in the New Testament. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to encourage them, to teach them how to live the Christian life, to thank them for a gift that was brought to them. And the Apostle Paul is prominently displays the word joy or gladness throughout this book. And as we saw last week in his paragraph in the first part of the first chapter, uh, he tells the Philippian believers that I have you in my mind. Of course, he uses and talks about the importance of thinking, the importance of our minds. But he talks about having these people on his mind and then he has them in his heart. He loves them and he cares for them deeply. And then thirdly, he has them in his prayers. And we see that great prayer at the end of the first paragraph in chapter one. But we continue today and uh, we're going to talk about perspectives and having a new perspective in the Christian life, especially in the times uh, in our contemporary times, the times in which we live. And our perspective, I find mine needs to be corrected probably on a daily basis. And so I need help with correcting my perspective on the issues of life, the circumstances, the happenings of my life. Today, we'll be looking at chapter one, verses 12 through 21. It's a little bit of a lengthy portion, uh, but we will go kind of quickly through this. But it helps us correct our perspective you know, it's like the dog looking at the room and then the human being looking at the room. But God's view of the room is the reality. It is truly the reality. The first thing that we need to do is our, our, our perspective needs to be corrected. And the way we do that is to view our circumstances through the eyes of Christ. That's the first thing. View our circumstances through the eyes of Christ. Look at the Apostle Paul. In verse 12 through 14, where he writes, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for a greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. We're going to see a couple things here, but our circumstances need to be viewed for the eyes of, from the eyes of Christ or through the eyes of Christ. Because the Apostle Paul, that is what he's doing here, even though he's in a Roman prison and uh, he's talking about his happenings or his circumstances, he has a bigger perspective, even though he's in the midst of this imprisonment, he has a bigger perspective provided to him by God. I'm always uh, just blessed and amazed <clears throat> when we travel on I-90 West and we come to that overlook advantage on the Columbia River. And you can see down the Columbia River and see the bridge and all the landscape and the beauty of creation there. And it's a bigger picture, isn't it, that you don't get when you're flying down the freeway at 70 miles an hour and crossing that bridge and going up the other side. Uh, so it's nice to pause and get a perspective on where we're at. So in verse 12, the Apostle Paul tells us that our circumstances are not the end of the story. Our circumstances are not the end of the story. Remember, the Apostle Paul says, now I want you to know that my circumstances, some translations have my happenings. All of us have happenings in our lives. And we must remember when we read this, it's easy to speed over this, but we forget the historical record of Paul's happenings, his circumstances and how he got to this Roman prison. Uh, we must remember that they're quite different from the things that the Apostle Paul planned for himself. 
Uh, Paul was a great missionary to the Gentiles, and for years he'd been carrying the gospel to various parts of the Roman Empire. He traveled through Syria, through Crete, through most of what is now Turkey and Greece. Somewhere along the way, he conceived, conceived a plan of taking the gospel far west to Spain. And after returning once more to Jerusalem, he stopped for a visit in Rome. These plans were not fulfilled, however, uh, <clears throat> because he found himself a prisoner on trial for his life. At the time of writing Philippians, he could have no real confidence that he would ever be free again. The things that actually happened to the Apostle Paul, his circumstances are summarized by a commentator named J.A. Machir. And I'm going to read his study of Philippians and he writes, uh, this is J.A. Machir. Whatever, you know, what happened began in Acts chapter 21, verse 17, when the apostle set foot in Jerusalem. He had been forewarned by the Holy Spirit of bonds and imprisonment that awaited him. An entirely false accusation was leveled at him by his own people in Acts 21. He was nearly lynched by a religious mob and ended up in a Roman prison, having escaped flogging by pleading with, uh, for his, he, he, his Roman citizenship in chapter 22 of Acts. His whole case was beset by a mockery of justice and <clears throat> though all right was on his side, he could not secure a hearing. He was made the subject of unjust and unprovoked insult and shame, Acts 23. Malicious misrepresentation, Acts 24 and 25. And a deadly plot, again in chapter 23 and 25 of Acts. He was kept imprisoned uh, because local officials were craving popularity and they wanted money too in chapter 24 of Acts. And the uh, facade of legalism in chapter 26 was against him. And even his sufferings then in uh, Jerusalem and Israel were not over. There came a prolonged uh, trial of the storm at sea in Acts 27, where his life hung in the balance, seemed by a thread because of uh, the, the natural elements of the sea and the, and the uh, ocean and because of the petty officials that were there. Eventually, when he reached Rome, he was far from the entry that he had imagined and planned on way back in Acts 19. He came in the company of other condemned prisoners and bound by chains and destined to drag out for a two-year imprisonment under arrest while he waited the decision of an earthly king. Nevertheless, Motyer goes on to say, still imprisoned, still chained, still unheard, still uncertain, he looks back and says, what has happened to me has really served to the advance of the gospel. Do not miss that in verse 12. He says, my circumstances, my happenings, all of that recorded for us in the book of Acts have turned out for a greater progress of the gospel. Think of that. Isn't that amazing? All the frustration, all the delay, all the physical physical suffering, yet this is overshadowed by the fact that it served to spread the gospel. That challenges me in our current situation. Although we're not imprisoned and chained to Roman guards, yet our lives have changed dramatically in this year. And uh, we face adversities and difficulties in a very uncertain future. And yet, is my life advancing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it serving my circumstances, my happenings? And of course, I have to ask you that question too. As much pain as some of you are in and difficulty and problems, is it serving to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? So our circumstances are not the end of the story. Remember that. 
In verse 13, our circumstances may lead others to Christ. And we see that there. It, it had an effect on the whole Praetorian Guard. And this is in Rome. And the Praetorian Guard was nine cohorts of soldiers made up of a thousand soldiers in each cohort. So it says, you know, not that every soldier was reached with the gospel, but it had a tremendous effect in the very palace of Caesar. And that's what the Apostle Paul, his gospel was going out, even though he was imprisoned. And from our perspective, and maybe even from Timothy and his perspective, that, oh, we're stuck in this prison, nothing's going to happen. And in verse 14, our, our circumstances can encourage other, look at, uh, others. Look at verse 14, and most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And so they were encouraged. They were given encouragement because of Paul's suffering, because of his circumstances, his adversity. Uh, we could spend a whole message or a whole series of messages on why Christians suffer, why Christians suffer in this life. Just very briefly, this is just very brief, an overview. But Paul has a theology of suffering if you trace it out through his writings. And it gives us at least four major reasons why we suffer as believers in Jesus Christ. First of all, we may suffer because of a failure to judge sin in our own lives. It comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 31 and 32. Secondly, we may suffer as a means of gaining spiritual experience, Romans 5, 3 through 5. And also you think back to the Old Testament, the, uh, Job, the righteous man, <laughs> suffered tremendous loss, uh, but he gained spiritual experience. Really, Job is not a book about suffering primarily, it's a book about faith. So we may suffer because we fail to judge sin in our own lives. We may suffer because we're gaining spiritual experience. Thirdly, we may suffer as a device used by God to prevent sin in one's life. You think of the Apostle Paul and the thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. Uh, that it will prevent sin in our lives. And fourthly, we may suffer to increase the effectiveness of our Christian testimony. Philippians 1, 12 through 18, right here. Uh, and so the reality is, is uh, when my circumstances are difficult, if I have a correct perspective on them, there are the times that I really grow and really are focused. And I think for the church, and I've said it all along during this shutdown and this pandemic, the fact is, I believe God causes the pandemic to purify his people, purify the church, strengthen the church, and also to focus the church on what is really important and really eternal. And so uh, those are some of the issues about why do we suffer? Secondly, the second major point in verses 15 through the first part of 18, in how do we have a correct perspective? How do we have a correct perspective on our circumstances? Well, first of all, we look through the eyes of Christ. Secondly, in verses 15 through 18, we determine, determine to rejoice in the truth of Christ. Look at verse 15 with me. Some to be sure, he's talking about these believers that are encouraged to speak boldly. But in verse 15, there's a reality check here. Some of these people, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather for, than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? 
No, uh, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Christ is preached with mixed motives. We see that in our own day and age. There are those who are, are denigrating other believers because of their actions and how they're responding to current circumstances. And yet Christ is preached out of love by some. It's preached out of selfish ambition by others. You can see that in Galatians chapter one, verses six through nine. And that's the reality of Paul's day. That's the reality of our day. Christ is proclaimed and in this rejoice, we rejoice. You know, these problems assist us in the Christian experience, really, Romans 5. In Romans 5, 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Therefore, in the way to have a correct perspective on our circumstances and have joy in the midst of circumstances, view those circumstances through the eyes of Christ. Of course, the only way we do that is through God's word to us, his love letter to us, and then determine the rejoice with in the, the truth of Jesus Christ. Paul was rejoicing because the gospel was going out. The truth of Jesus Christ was going out. Thirdly, in the second part of verse 18 through 20, the third thing to correct our perspective is earnestly expect the provision of the Spirit of Christ. Earnestly expect the provision of the Spirit of Christ. Look at verse 18. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with that with all boldness, Christ will even and now be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death earnest expectation of deliverance. He had hope. He knew that Jesus Christ was with him and he asked the people to pray and he knew they were praying for him and praying for the indwelling spirit of Jesus Christ, that this power that is beyond our understanding enables us to face our circumstances, to live through difficult times, whether it's personally, in a family, as a church, nationally, as a community, wherever we find ourselves. The good question is, is uh, what is the greatest day in life? One of those questions. In 1992, Karen Lee Gartner uh, from Calgary, Alberta, became the first Canadian in history to win Olympic gold in the women's downhill race. In Canada, she was an immediate sensation and a hero. Shortly after her victory, a reporter interviewing her commented that this must certainly be the most significant day in her whole life. She thought a minute and said, no, it isn't. The most significant day in my life was the day I married my husband. But this ranks up pretty high. Uh, even the greatest achievements cannot compare to the greatest of relationships. And so for you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, our greatest relationship is with Jesus Christ because of what he has done for us. He saved us from eternal damnation. And when we believe in him for everlasting life, 
we will be given that because Jesus Christ has promised it. So to correct our perspective, we need to view our circumstances through the eyes of Christ, determined to rejoice in the truth of Christ and earnestly expect the provision of Christ. And fourthly, in verse 21, focus on the centrality of the assurance of Christ, the assurance of Christ. Look at verse 21. Where Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Assurance that our lives are in Christ's hands. Assurance that our deaths are in Christ's hands. When we recognize and understand and believe in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because he is God and God cannot sin. God is powerful, all powerful, all loving. And uh, he is righteous and good. He makes no mistakes. And that's why I say to my children, uh, I'm going to die on time because according to Psalm 139, he numbers our days. I don't need to worry about that. And the Apostle Paul understood that. And uh, also, I think it's Psalm 136. It says, my times are in his hand. And I remember that often, that he is the one who is righteous, good, and just, and he has a plan for all of this. So there's this assurance that our lives are in his hands, even our death is in Christ's hands. So we can experience joy in the midst of our circumstances as we view them through the eyes of Christ, rejoice in the truth of Christ, expect the spirit of Christ, and focus on the assurance of Christ. And so we need to cultivate this perspective. It's easy to look out, especially in national upheaval and whatever this election is going to happen, whoever is our next president and uh, our, our leaders within this nation, it is easy to focus our attention on that and our whole perspective is based on what we see in this one area of our lives. In our own adversity and the pandemic, it's easy and to be focused on that. But a new perspective on our circumstances, we want to view them through the eyes of Christ, determining uh, to <clears throat> rejoice in the truth of Christ, earnestly expect the provision of Christ, focusing on the centrality of the assurance of Christ. So three things to remember, three things to remember. Christ puts our circumstances into true perspective. Secondly, Christ puts our motives into perspective. Motives are difficult things. One author has said motive, our motives are slippery things, and we have a difficulty even discerning our own motives, let alone anyone else's. Christ puts our motives into perspective. Thirdly, Christ puts our fears about ourselves and about our future in perspective, and that's called trust, hope, and faith. W. Paul Jones uh, wrote these words. And with this, I'll close. What one sees depends on where one sets up one's shop. In other words, where you live. What's your perspective? He finishes that quote by saying, mine is at the entrance of the empty tomb. Mine is at the entrance of the empty tomb. That is our hope in the resurrection, in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, that he is holding all things together as our great high priest, our intercessor and our advocate. God bless. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the Apostle Paul for this letter to the Philippian church. I thank you for each one out there. And we do pray for our nation. We pray for whoever is our leaders in this next uh, uh, segment of our history. And we pray, Lord, that uh, I pray as believers that we would uphold whoever it is in prayer. And that we pray those within our realm of influence. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, you know all of this and we trust you because you are the supreme one. There's no one more powerful than you. 
And I pray for those watching today that you would meet them in their place of need and their place of adversity, and they would have great peace and joy even in the midst of their circumstances. In Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen and amen. We trust you have a great week. Go in God's grace. Amen. Amen.